in the late night, early morning hours of November 12th and 13th, 1833, exactly 189 years ago, people all across the United States were woken by a great light in the sky. In fact, it looked as though it were raining fire. Now we know that what they were witnessing, what is commonly is uh, what it's commonly referred to as a meteor shower. The Leonid meteor shower actually happens every year. But when conditions are just right, and the Earth gets just in the right path, and the angle of the sun is just so, we get to see a tremendous meteor shower. Joseph Smith, the founder of the Mormon religion, journaled about that meteor shower. He called it a great sign from heaven, just like we, talked, we just heard about from Luke. And he said it signaled the second coming of Christ. Newspapers reported that the end of the world was surely upon us. Abraham Lincoln journaled about the unusual storm. Harriet Tubman and Frederick Douglass noted the storm as well, and they wondered if it was a, a positive portent for the abolitionist movement, as it was in 1833 that the UK had abolished the slave trade. The Lakota people reset their calendar based on this magnificent event. Since then, there have been great earthquakes all around the globe. 100-year storms occurring much more frequently. Tsunamis and floods of epic proportions. War has broken out when we thought that the borders had finally been settled for good. Some have called political leaders savior and messiah even while systems of oppression persist and violence is carried out in their name. We point fingers at each other as food and other necessities like fuel continue to rise in cost. Yet we miss the mark by not aiming at the corporations who are reporting record profits this year. The poor are getting poorer, the rich are getting richer, and the middle class is disappearing altogether. Politics continue to divide us as some declare victory before ballots are counted, and others are more concerned with losing than with the will of the people or moving forward together, regardless of the poll results. I talk about politics because Jesus talked about politics. Jesus told us that all of these things would happen. He told us not to be afraid because it didn't mean that the end was near. I think of all the times false prophets have predicted the end of the world, claiming that all the signs were there, and yet here we are. That being said, Jesus also taught us that life would be a challenge, especially if we choose to follow him. 
He taught us that we cannot sit idly by while injustice surrounds us. He knew that everything he taught went against the powerful, the selfish, the religious and cultural elite. It's like Mrs. Potts saying in The Beauty and the Beast, tale as old as time, song as old as rhyme. Or, as it reads in Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. Shakespeare did not write that line. (laughs) But we're not to lose hope. Because Jesus also tells us that the endurance that all of these challenges teach us will ultimately save our souls. Not because we can earn our salvation, but because when we rely on Jesus's power and strength, our faith will help us endure. Our faith will set us free from worrying about when the end is imminent. Our faith will help bring about God's vision as given to Isaiah, a vision of peace on God's holy mountain. A couple weeks ago, I was knitting away with the folks at Aging at Home in in their center on Tuesday morning. I try to do that each week for about an hour or so. Sometimes we get talking, don't we, Ken? And it goes a little longer. (laughs) But somehow that morning we got talking about coyotes, that they've been out and about. And I mentioned that I had seen a Facebook post of a local young adult who'd bagged herself a coyote this hunting season, and she was proudly posing with her trophy. We chatted about the destruction that coyotes can cause, especially to chicken coops, the devastation that they can leave in their wake. In recent years, it has felt to me that elections tend to leave destruction in their wake as families, as described in Luke, are pitted against one another. Neighbors are estranged by their opposing stances. But then, as I turn to this oh-so-familiar passage from Isaiah about the wolf eating with the lamb, that image in my mind was replaced with one that would be more familiar to us. What would it look like if we replaced those animals and we could say the coyote and the chicken will feed together? Now that's an image. And I thought only God can bring about that kind of miracle, right? Of bringing all of us together again. But what if, instead of dreading the Thanksgiving table and the necessary rules of no politics and no religion, how many families have that as a rule at the Thanksgiving table? What if instead we could find a way to break bread together and pave a path to peace? And if we can't start with our family and our friends, where do we begin? Perhaps Isaiah holds the answer. 
So here were my questions for Isaiah. I wondered why was this message of peace so needed by the people of Israel? What was going on that they had to have, that this message was absolutely necessary to their survival? What was God communicating to the people through God's prophet? And what meaning might we extract from it today? Well, at that time, the people of Judah had been exiled, and it came down to one root cause. Don't you wish we could get to the root cause of all of our problems? They got down to their root cause, idolatry. They had forgotten to trust God. They started making agreements with other nations that caused harm to everyday people. The religious elite thought themselves so holy that they were untouchable. Surely God would never let our temple fall. And they refused to touch or help anyone else, lest they should be brought down. They should be made unclean. They bowed to the political authority in order to protect their own status and station in society. Today, we struggle with idolatry, too. We make idols of politicians and influencers. Do you all know what an influencer is? I was asked this a couple years ago. I gave someone my personal email address, and it's simple. It's Angela in Maine. I don't mind sharing that with, with folks. Um, and he said, oh, are you an influencer? Like I'm the only Angela in Maine or something. <laughs> and I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and Dan and I like to watch the TV show um, Masked Singer, and they've had some YouTube influencers on there. And we're like, who is that? They're not influencing us. I don't know. But there are those who have made idols of these folks. Celebrities and the ultra wealthy. Instead of focusing on policies of justice and care for others, we idolize the individual. Instead of putting the needs of the community first. It's not just an attitude of America first, but of me and mine first. That is not what Jesus taught us. The church has become seen as a museum of saints instead of a hospital for sinners that it truly should be. Craig shared for, I'm picking up on people all over the place here. Craig shared with me a few weeks ago that the, the men's breakfast group has become, on Wednesday mornings, has become a place where men with all kinds of varied political leanings and interests are relearning how to be in conversation together. What a wonderful experience that must be. And I have to admit I was a little jealous that I don't get to go, but it's at oh dark 30 in the morning, so that's okay. The church should be, is, I hope, another place where people from diverse backgrounds and expressions of their values can come together with a shared purpose to worship God and to build bridges of healing and hope. 
That's not just a fancy grouping of words and a newfangled attempt to use business jargon to make the church viable again. Our vision was arrived at by a prayerful process. It's a reflection of what Jesus did and what Jesus calls us to do in the Great Commission to build relationships, to bring healing to share the message of God's love, the good news of salvation and transformation that is possible. No matter what's going on in our lives or in the world around us. How many other places can people go just a few days after a midterm election, regardless of how they voted at the polls, shake hands, greet one another, with a smile and a hug. How many other places can we still gather under the same roof and continue to move forward together? The church, not the building, but the people of the church with a capital C, the body of Christ, 24-7, not just Sunday morning, (laughs) is a safe place where those who might be considered enemies out there get to be friends in here. And not friends only while we're gathered within these four walls. And, And we get to be even more than friends. Jesus tells us that we are siblings beloved children of God who are learning together how to live in peace. Not without conflict, but in true peace. In the true body of Christ, no one is aiming for the throat, going in for the kill. No one is speaking hate about anyone's candidate, no harmful rhetoric. Did any of you see the meme I posted on the church Facebook page that quoted John Wesley about voting? He um, wrote in his journal in 1774, he was addressing a, a meeting of the society and he kept it simple. He said, vote without fee or reward for the person you judge most worthy. Speak no evil of the person you voted against and take care that your spirit is not sharpened against those that voted on the other side. If we can do that in the church, maybe we have something to teach others. So how is God expecting us to act as the body of Christ? Well, first, we have to get to the root causes. We have to speak to the heart of the matter to get to the relationships that need to be nurtured, the healing that needs to take place. Usually we all agree on what needs to be done. We just disagree on how it should be done. We pay attention to the root causes of the pain we're all experiencing, or at least noticing at different degrees. 
Even Jesus learned not to care where someone was from when he was asked for a miracle. He healed Romans and Samaritans and Syrophoenicians. So can we. We can heal Democrats and Republicans and Independents. Because here we are, all of us, right now, gathered together. We can work together to create safe places and change people's lives for the better. I want to let you know that through the Pastors Discretionary Fund, we helped someone stay in their home this month. That's making a difference in someone's life. Together, we are stronger. Together, we can endure end-time events, even when it's not time for the end. Together, we can overcome our fears and open our hearts, step out with courage into new ministries and try new ideas for reaching out and gathering the brood under Jesus's mothering wing. I love that image that we use every Lent. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I've longed to gather you like a mother hen under her wing. There is always room for hope. When we keep God's vision of a new heaven and a new earth before us, a new creation where there is shalom. Now, many of us know that shalom translates to peace, or it might be a greeting, hello, goodbye. But the depth of that word in the Hebrew language means much more than all of that. Shalom encompasses peace, but also harmony, wholeness, completeness, tranquility, an overall sense of well-being. So may the bridges of healing hope that we build be a step toward God's vision of shalom. May it be so. Amen.